Thank you for tuning in to the Practical Preservation Podcast. Please take a moment to visit our website, practicalpreservationservices.com, for additional information and tips to help you restore your historical home. If you've not done so, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and also like us on Facebook. Welcome to the Practical Preservation Podcast, hosted by Danielle and Jonathan Kepperling. Kepperling Preservation Services is a family-owned business based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, dedicated to the preservation of our built architectural history for today's use as well as future generations. Our weekly podcast provides you with expert advice specific to the unique needs of renovating a historic home, educating by sharing our from-the-trenches preservation knowledge and our guests' expertise, balancing modern needs while maintaining the historical significance, character, and beauty of your period home. Today on the Practical Preservation Podcast, I have Jeremy Ebersol with me. He is the communication specialist for uh, the Landmark Trust USA. So, Jeremy, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much, Danielle. It's really great to be here. So, so tell me a little bit about your background. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I actually my family is from uh, your neck of the woods there in in Lancaster Lancaster County. Um, but I, actually, I grew up in, in Ohio, in Akron, Ohio, um, uh, in kind of a, a suburban area of uh, outside of Akron, an area that I, I remember um, had uh, farm fields essentially across the street. There was an old house with a big farm behind it, and they, they burned the house as part of a controlled burn uh, for the fire department. And then popping right up uh, in its place was a large McMansion development. Oh, yeah, that, that happens. <laughs> Yes, it happens all over. And I think that was one of my early interest in preservation, but kind of a, a suburban Ohio um, upbringing. Uh, ended up did my undergrad at Elizabethtown College in, in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, um, uh, focusing on communications. Uh, and then worked actually in my first career, as with many in, in this field, my first career was not not preservation. In fact, I had no idea preservation existed uh, <laughs> in uh, an undergrad or as a child, um, though knew I loved road trips and traveling to places that were interesting, uh, but did my communications degree at, at Elizabethtown College um, for my undergrad, worked at the college uh, as an admissions counselor as my as my first career, um, uh, and had a kind of a roundabout way of getting getting kind of to where I am now in preservation. I did a few years um, living internationally and traveling, backpacking, volunteering, um, in Latin America, um, Israel, uh, New Zealand, Germany, uh, and came back after that experience to to Lancaster, actually real Lancaster City, really interested in investing in a place that I was passionate about and more on fire than ever, I think, uh, about preserving places. From your international travels. Yeah, 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 really, really connecting. Um, and I had realized, again, as I was working at, you know, at, at Elizabethtown in, in missions, which I loved, as a part of that job that I that I liked the most uh, was traveling and recruiting uh, students from around the country and getting to see different interesting places. So kind of after I, I did that full-time volunteer service and, and came back to Lancaster, I really wanted to, to dive into, into the preservation world, which I had just discovered um, kind of by chance, uh, by hearing that there's an organization called the National Trust for Historic Preservation and then diving into to what that exactly meant um uh, kind of in that in that journey then i've had a number of steps uh, since entering the preservation kind of world um i did a somewhere i had two two sca organizations in, in my background one the student conservation association um where i did some some work out uh, in, in california with the national park service at the mojave national preserve uh, and then worked with the national heritage areas program uh, in philadelphia um, doing communications for the Northeast region of the National Park Service with the National Heritage Program, which is just a, a fantastic um, kind of entree into, into kind of both preservation and kind of destination marketing and, and place-based, um, you know, uh, heritage tourism-based development. Um, and, and loved that position, was able to tran- transition that uh, into a position with an actual national heritage area um, and worked for the Essex National Heritage Commission. That's what brought me up to New England initially, right? Where I am, Essex National Heritage Commission um, 
uh, is the entire county of Essex County, north of Boston, uh, mm. between Boston and Hampshire border there and did communications there. Um, and, and during that time, I got involved with the other SCA, the Society for Commercial Archaeology, uh, on whose board I currently sit. Uh, and this is one of my big passions at roadside architecture, commercial ah. commercial archaeology. They're based on uh, the organization that was founded in the late 1970s um, by Chester Leibs, who was running the University of Vermont Historic Preservation Department at the time uh, as a way to essentially bring attention to uh, the value of roadside commercial resources. So is it like motels, like the motor inns and like all of those kind of like touristy stops too, or is it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's okay. the, road, the roads itself and then all of those uh, um, resources that, that, that are built up around it. So yes, oh. motels, gas stations, movie theaters and neon signs. Oh, that's so much fun. So <laughs> This is this is completely down a path. <laughs> so I, I um I often say to my husband as we drive past these motor inns that you know my retirement plan is to uh buy one. I'll be the front desk person. He can be the maintenance yeah. guy, and we will run this this roadside motel. He he is against it. It probably won't happen. But <laughs> as we yeah, well, we need drove, someone to be doing it. I, yeah. I know it. As, all as, mind. Yeah, yeah, as we drove, um, we drove from Arizona to Pennsylvania, um, at uh the spring. And we were driving through Southern Colorado and there were so many mm. like neon signs still attached to the motel. Now the motel, some of the motels weren't still there, but I'm like, I love that sign. I love that. So I'm, I, I would, I, I, I am also on your team. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. These are amazing. This was actually my, my graduate school thesis was on neon sign preservation. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly a passion. Of, of mine uh, and there are there are neon signs just about everywhere and they're getting replaced too often with with led oh yeah neon. i was very sad when i learned that <laughs> i was yeah. very sad that there are fake neon signs now <laughs> right right and they thought neon in parentheses yeah so, i i'm the county better than no sign um but but certainly not the same thing and i have 300 pages that can tell you why <laughs> in seeing that um but yeah so that's what i got involved with the society for commercial archaeology um i'm still on the board there um uh, for the past decade or so it's an amazing organization we do tours and publications uh, so for any listeners who are interested in uh, in this this area of research or interest it's a really cool organization that kind of bridges the gap between um kind of scholarship and uh, and enthusiasts of, of roadside um uh, and then I, I ended up um, uh, here in Vermont for for a little bit, uh, and then decided to finally make the jump and do grad school. Um, so I did go out then to um, to the University of Oregon in Portland. Okay. Um, so I had a little bit. My, of... um, I have my I have my grandfather graduated from there, and uh, several of my cousins have. I I did get accepted there, but I ended up not going. I did not. I didn't become a social worker. That's that's her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah it was a fantastic program and i just graduated in in 2020 so i had a nice nice little gap of of 13 years in between and realized oh, you forget a lot about how to be in school <laughs> anyone thinking about grad school who's listening i say yeah. do it if you want but do it earlier if you can um and, and that i graduated into the pandemic um, in, in 2020, uh, I was really fortunate uh, then, kind of completing my my long, <laughs> hopefully not too long-winded uh, trajectory. Um, graduated into the pandemic uh, and was fortunate to get a position um, then uh, as executive director, uh, essentially the first executive director for the Milwaukee Preservation Alliance in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, and and, and um, that organization as the EB um, until uh, until just last year. Uh, and then made a, made a transition here to my current position, uh, working with the Landmark Trust USA in uh, in southeastern Vermont, a national organization, but based in here in southeastern. I'm gonna probably talk more about them as we as we. Oh yes, get. yes. Well, thank you, thank you for that introduction. I I was I was excited about the neon signs, and then we have the Portland connection, and and I knew uh, Ebersol was a Lancaster County name, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah where I grew up in Akron, there's like four of us in the phone book, and in yeah. Lancaster, like, oh, we can get, we, we went to the, the Lancaster dealer in Lebanon, Pennsylvania, like, can you give us one of your car 
license plate so we can have it because it's exciting yeah. there's an Eversole car dealer <laughs> that's funny the um yeah we were we had um first friday at the preservation trust in lancaster county this past friday and um the somebody came in and they they were from Oregon which was really funny and they were just happened to be downtown and they were like is Hess a common name here I'm like yes yes Hess yeah. is a common name they're like we knew one Hess and we thought we thought it was very unusual uh, <laughs> like there yeah. are so many Hesses <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> so so tell me what I know you talked a little bit about the house being burned and the control burn but what what mm -hmm. drew you into preservation yeah 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 I mean I, I really think it was as I look back I kind of how how I got interested in this. Um, I mean, I think it was a lot of road trips. We never flew anywhere growing up. Uh, so hence my interest in, in kind of roadside architecture yeah. as well. I, I grew up in a, in a place, there are great things about, Akron is a fabulous city. My, you know, the, the suburb that I grew up in had, had, has many positive attributes, um, but I certainly grew up um, not enamored with the bland sameness you know, of what surrounded me. And I saw these excursions, these trips uh, as, as ways to really see places that were distinctive mm -hmm. as opposed to kind of chain stores and generic architecture I saw around me uh, on a regular basis. Uh, so when I was in college doing my undergrad, I, um, I spent a summer living in Los Angeles. Thought it'd be fun. Uh, and I had enough uh, knowledge in my brain that I thought, when you go to Los Angeles, you take Route 66 and had no idea <laughs> oh my goodness. what Route 66 was other than this is an old road that you take yeah. when you go So research and that trip was really transformative oh i'm sure yeah. Yeah. yeah i've driven i've driven on route 66 in in arizona so like down through flagstaff and, yeah. and williams um yeah so but that's that's my experience of route 66 <laughs> it's, not, yeah. it's not a long experience <laughs> yeah it's amazing i mean i i highly recommend it to anyone that we did it in about eight days and it was you know a transformative experience and for me it's an opportunity to see Places that had such distinctive character, um, places that 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 felt like the place that they were, and right. not, you know, at least in preservation, you know, some place and not in any place. And certainly, I, I got that feeling, and I think that's really kind of what turned me on. So as I was, you know, when I was spending my time working as an admissions counselor and, and realizing again that I didn't know if that was what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, and thinking through other options, thought I really my passion is doing something to preserve places that are really important to people that, that make a place uh, someplace and not in any place. Uh, and I realized that, you know, I love, you know, walkable places that the history, that the sense of character, a sense of place is what makes places livable and interesting um, to me. And I, and I think it, especially more so as my awareness has grown in the past, in the past, you know, 20 years or so, since all of that transpired, uh, the, uh, an understanding of, the kind of environmental necessity of of preservation um, that we we we're all taught reduce reuse recycle as children and why on earth are we not doing that now and i remember thinking you know why are we growing up why are we building all of this generic schlock um, out here on the farm fields when there are these incredible beautiful interesting buildings in downtown akron that are sitting empty we ought to be reusing them uh, and so that's that's kind of for me it was really about preserving um, places that are just significantly more interesting in a way that is environmentally sustainable. Yeah, and I, um, I, I agree with you, and I think that that's one thing that preservation mm -hmm. as a general movement needs to do better with. This is a green option. You don't have to build a new building that is certified green. <laughs> like you know, we're already reusing something. Um, so I, 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 I really agree with that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, the greenest building is the one already built. We've been saying since at least the seventies. Yes, yes, yes. I I got one of those posters from the um. It doesn't say that specifically, but it's the the National Trust poster. I think it's from nineteen eighty that makes the how the building look like a gas cannon that talks about how many gallons of gas would be you know wasted if you demolish the building. So I yeah. I so yeah. I found it online and I was excited to get. It. Yeah, very <laughs> cool. I think the the, the wider world and the architecture world is finally starting to catch on and I see more and more news of uh, of architects uh, prestigious architect you know share is saying we really can't afford to be building new buildings at this point uh, where, where we are in the environment unless there's an absolute necessity yes figure out how to use what we have <laughs> no I I agree with that so so tell me about uh, the landmark truck trust USA 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's super exciting. Um, the the so the Landmark Trust USA again. We're based here in uh, in in southern Vermont, uh, southeastern Vermont, Brattleboro. Uh, say the one and only Brattleboro in in the world. <laughs> Towns named Brattleboro anywhere. Um, but yeah, it's a very uh, a very cool organization with a really unique model. So the the mission of the organization is to preserve and restore historic properties through creative and sustainable uses for public enjoyment education and inspiration. So what does that look like uh, on a practical level? Well, essentially we, we use a model that was, um, was originated uh, in the UK. Uh, there is an organization called Landmark Trust in the UK um, and another, um, uh, the Irish Landmark Trust um, that essentially is, is taking buildings of historic significance, um, restoring them using traditional trades uh, here in the U.S., of course, we're doing everything according to the Secretary of the Interior standards, basically um, restoring at-risk buildings um, that, that don't have other options um, for sustainability, um, bringing them back um, to their original look uh, and character, uh, and then uh, managing them as whole house overnight rentals. Mm -hmm. um, so whereas uh, some places, maybe you know, the, the museum model, one way to preserve a historic place. Um, and this model provides um, uh, a really cool way for people to experience the history firsthand. Mm -hmm. There's certainly something, uh, I think, special and different about being able to stay in a historic property and make it your home. Yes. Um, different from, from the experience that you would get at a museum. Uh, and, and we are a nonprofit, so there is still considerable fundraising um, that we do, but the but the model also allows you know, the building to be preserved, but it provides um, regular income coming in that's able to take care of of, of much of the um, kind of maintenance uh, and, and overhead costs. So it's it's a sustainable um, model from a fundraising perspective, uh, from a funding perspective, uh, to to keep uh, older places uh, around. Um, um, so it's. Again, primary buildings that exclusively buildings that have some kind of historic significance um, restored, um, you know, down to the you know most most minute details. Uh, I mean, I really feel like it's it's kind of time travel. Uh, and I'm sitting in one of our homes uh -huh. now, and I'll talk more about the properties. But it's more than any other experience. You know, you're not just visiting; you're staying in a place that is authentically of a different time. Um, so there's this idea, uh, you know, even down to the you know, the, the artwork on the walls, you know, we're not, we have an 1802 property, we're not going to have photographs on the walls, because there was not photography at the right. time. So yeah. people, you know, experiencing the time and place and understanding the mindset of the people who would have, you know, built, built this property. Uh, and we, uh, I know this conversation comes up in, in preservation often, you know, we, we do, um, at times, as, as situations warrant, you know, keep um, changes that have occurred over time. I'm sitting right now in the Sutton Farmhouse property, which was at one point um, a, a home for um, for some of our, our seasonal workers who work at a farm that we also um, uh, own and, and manage. And so we have artwork behind us that was created in the 1980s, but helps to tell the special story of this place uh, as as well. Um, so this idea, again, generally, you can when you're in the property. You're looking around. You can. You want to be able to understand the time. Know what time this place was built. So right. This is a early 1800s, but forget that it's that it's 2023. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very. Yeah, that's. I think that's. Um, I think that is a, definitely a way for people to experience, and I think that's a really special. And what makes your program special? Because I, 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 I'm not aware of another another one that does the you know accurate restorations and then you know does short term rentals in them. Yeah, um, my knowledge, yeah, we're the only we're the only national organization that. that has and I was going to ask. That's where I was. That's what I was going to ask you mm -hmm. about. So you you had mentioned in your introduction that it was a national organization. So how does that look nationally? Do you have properties? rather not just in Vermont or yeah yeah so that's a great that's a great question so we we are currently um we are currently only in in Vermont okay and so the organization was originally um I mentioned the Landmark Trust UK mm -hmm. Landmark UK originally um came to the U.S. Uh, in order to bring the model here um for two of our properties which we still manage um Nalaka and, and Kipling's Carriage House. Both of these properties were owned by Rudyard Kipling okay. um, here in, in Vermont. Uh, and so uh, initially for a few short years in the 1990s, 
Um, it was the Landmark Trust UK, which now has over 200 properties or, mm-hmm. around and Europe. Um, but but shortly thereafter, the Landmark Trust USA became a separate entity. Um, so we are now currently a separate entity or a separate nonprofit from the Landmark Trust UK. Um, okay. Have kept um, our properties um, <clears throat> to to now uh, here in 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 Southern mm-hmm. Vermont. However, uh, I'll mention uh, uh, that we are in the process of active you know, negotiations with partners around. It is not there is nothing uh, limiting us here to um, to Vermont, and we, we are actually um, working to bring the model elsewhere. You know, organizations um, uh, contact us uh, and say, you know, we want we like this model. How can we bring this here to preserve yes. places yes. that we're interested in as well? So, in the process of kind of active negotiations with partners. You know, to bring this model to new properties, uh, and currently kind of focusing on New England yeah. and, and Mid Atlantic, uh, and so our kind of our, our our kind of again partnership-based approach at this point is really centered on kind of working with like-minded preservation organizations, uh-huh. other statewide potential nonprofits or state and federal agencies um, to find um, uh, find properties where where you might be be able to expand. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense, and I think it's a great way to allow people to experience it, but also, you know, save the building. Um, Because, and you mentioned that they were, you know, mostly at risk buildings. So I think that's a, that's a great solution. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I I think that it is. We talk about as a stewardship model, you know, this is a way to preserve buildings that would, 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 would not necessarily have other options. uh, Right. As we know, restoring historic buildings uh, can takes resources. (laughs) It does. Yeah. One way to, to do that, and as I mentioned, you know, we're a nonprofit. We're doing educational programming as well. We're doing fundraising for things like capital projects, uh, restorations, and our education fund education work. Um, um, but yes, yeah. But but the this model allows us to kind of keep the buildings um, in in the kind of historic you know condition that they that they need and deserve. Okay, very good. So tell me about the properties that you have available for rent. I think the two that you mentioned that were the start were the ones that were dog friendly because I noticed that when I was when I was doing my research. <laughs> Ooh, well, actually, yeah. So the so actually the, these two aren't the, those two initial ones aren't. We do have two oh. that are dog friendly. Okay, not, the, the, I I guess one looked like a carriage house to me, so that's why. Oh uh, yes, yeah, that's probably the sugar house. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So okay. Then, yeah, let me run through that. Yeah, so Nalaka. Um, uh, is a um, yeah. This was Rudyard Kipling's home. Many folks don't don't know, and I'll be honest, I did not either until until I became better acquainted with the Landmark Trust USA. But Rudyard Kipling um, lived here in, uh, in in rural Southern Vermont um, in the the small town of Dummerston, just outside of Brattleboro, um, for about four years, starting in 1892. Um, his his wife Caroline uh, was um, uh, was was from the area, and so. Essentially, right after they got married, uh, they moved here to um, to Vermont and had this property built um, for their family. Um, it was the only property ever built for Rudyard Kipling. It's obviously we associate Kipling with 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 the UK and with India, um, but he did spend some very productive years here in Vermont and actually wrote um, the Jungle Books uh, and uh, a number of other uh, okay. more popular books here at uh, at Nalaka. And so, so Nalaka, his home and the carriage house, which is the home of his uh, his carriage driver Matthew Howard um, and their family, are two properties um, that we have available for for rent. Um, Kipling was only here for for four years, and but some very productive years. He invented snow golf while he was here. Uh, well, I would think you'd have to in Vermont. <laughs> that's right. That's right. He was to golf. Uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, uh, wrote Sherlock Holmes, was a friend and came and visited uh, and introduced him to golf. Um, so yeah, these. These are our Nalaka. It's kind of our um, our, uh, our our big property. Uh, four bedrooms there. The carriage house has two bedrooms, and they're always whole house rentals. And we don't have any TVs. Lots of great books uh, related to Kipling. <laughs> Enjoy the property. Um, we do have Wi-Fi um, uh, and modern conveniences, but no TVs. So you can really take in the experience of of the property. Um, Yes, Nalaka just again can't be beat. The carriage house uh, again, very, really, really beautiful, um, uh, restored, restored building. Um, both kind of overlooking um, the hills and the mountains. Uh, the Nalaka was designed to to look like kind of a, a cross between a Mississippi riverboat and a Kashmiri 
um, uh, houseboat um, from, from <laughs> India, kind of a long, narrow, uh, tall house uh, on the hills, kind of uh, Kipling uh, saw it as riding the waves of the of the hills here in southern Vermont. So as you look out, it, it looks like you're kind of on an ocean of hills looking out over into into New Hampshire from, from both of these properties. Mm -hmm. And we have a little museum uh, there as well in the old stables. So his, his horses were named Nip and Tuck uh, <laughs> and their stables. And we have a little museum there uh, as well. So that's uh, our Kipling associated properties. Um, uh, and then uh, our Dutton farmhouse um, is actually the, the original farmhouse for the Scott farm, um, uh, which is a, a large farm that we also um, we also own and manage. Um, so this this is an 1849 farmhouse. We just were able to do some dendrochronology work on the house with some of our board members cool. last year and kind of pinpoint that exact time, 1849. Um, so a really beautiful um, uh, kind of traditional New England farmhouse here that looks out over uh, the heirloom apple orchard at Scott Farm, uh, looks directly east. So you get this fantastic sunrise. That's a four bedroom um, property. Uh, and then the Sugar House uh, uh, and the Amos Brown House are our two dog friendly properties. Uh, <laughs> and the Sugar House, I think, might have been what you were seeing. So this is okay. you know, properties that buildings that look like this kind of throughout um, especially, you know, Vermont and, and Northern New England, these sugar houses are, are traditionally used for boiling maple syrup. You know, so maple okay. syrup, you tap the maple trees, uh, you bring in all of the syrup usually into a large vat and you boil that down into, into maple syrup. And that work is what happens in, in sugar houses, uh, which are these uh, kind of very distinctive um, looking wooden, wooden buildings. And so this sugar house was producing sugar for Scott Farm for, for a number of years um, uh, and became one of our landmark properties um, um, in the early 2000s. And so now as a one bedroom, uh, just about the Vermontiest place you can stay <laughs> in Vermont. Uh, I, uh, some people have said, if you really, if you smell harder, you can smell the maple syrup still in the wood. From all those years <laughs> I was the wondering if it had like a caramely, caramely <laughs> smell. <laughs> it's not overpowering. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, beautiful property, you know, completely restored and converted. So all of our other properties, you know, began their life as as homes. This one began its life as a um, uh, as a sugar house and was converted into uh, into a, a rental property here. Um, but yeah, you can walk right down the street and and buy still buy maple syrup from the trees that are surrounding the property. Um, uh, at the sugar house that's just right beside our our sugar house. Um, so that's a fantastic play. We have a lot of you know couples, uh, folks getting engaged. Um, this is our only one bedroom property, so uh, you know it's a very a romantic place to spend <clears throat> spend over some time in Vermont. Um, and then our final property, um, and actually my favorite of the lot is uh, is called the Amos Brown House. Um, this is a property uh, a little bit. Uh, a little bit away from the others uh, in kind of south central Vermont in a town called Whitingham. This is an 1802 brick farmhouse with an attached um, wooden um, garage. You see lots of very distinctive type of architecture here in northern New England, house with a with attached garage and just surrounded by acres and acres and acres of open open land and um, woods. So it really, I mean, bird watching and I just love the solitude uh, of uh, of this place. I mean, it's a place to really kind of get away. It's a beautiful, again, brick, um, four chimneys, um, 1802 brick farmhouse has the, the large uh, um, kind of stove uh, or oven, excuse me, oh, oven, yeah. from, um, brick oven that you would see from, from the time period. So it really um, is a neat, a neat, neat property um, there. So those are the, the five uh, overnight uh, properties that we have. And then, as I mentioned, we also, uh, own uh, and manage um, another uh, another property called Scott Farm. Uh, so Scott Farm is uh, is a, a working farm that has been in active uh, active production and cultivation since 1791. Um, so so certainly a, a property that, that has been been doing what they've been doing for a long time, and I think really kind of aligned with our mission uh, of preservation that we're keeping alive. Um, uh, Historic, the historic rural kind of farmstead right. environment. Most of our properties um, are are on the National Register of Historic Places. Um, those that aren't, uh, we're hoping to, to to complete that work. Um, Scott Farm is on the National Register. Nalaka is actually a National Historic Landmark, 
Um, but our Scott Farm property, again, a number of historic buildings um, that date back to the, as early as the, uh, the mid 1800s. Um, so keeping that working landscape uh, and those buildings alive, um, as well as keeping alive uh, specific apple varieties and these foods. I was going to ask about heirloom heirloom varieties. So you have you have specific ones. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And this was again new to me as, as well coming into the, the position. I knew. I knew my my Granny Smiths and, uh, <laughs> and my Red Delicious, which are you know people who know apples. So there's nothing so delicious about Red Delicious. <laughs> yeah, the store, the commodity apples, essentially. Yeah. So you know Vermont is well known for good reason for for a lot of heirloom and craft products. A lot of kind of very small you know small businesses um, doing doing uh, kind of artisan products in, in Vermont, and so in, in that. In that vein, uh, you know, we have 130 varieties of heirloom apples. You know, oh, that's I, amazing. Yeah, I had no idea there were 130 kinds of apples that existed. Uh, we are growing um, uh, some incredible apples here on, on orchard, and some other ginger, um, pawpaws, all kinds of other interesting. Oh, that that those are a big deal in Lancaster. I I don't know if they were when you were here, but like that's like the the native the native fruit tree to 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 this area. Mm -hmm. So everybody's excited about it. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, um, over 500 acres uh, on the farm. Uh, and the part that's in, in cultivation is, is primarily heirloom apples and they are, so they're a Scott farm is a, uh, certified B Corp. So we are also the owners of you know, Scott farm and Scott farm is a, a wholly owned um, subsidiary essentially of, of the landmark trust USA. So we um, at the landmark trust are a, are a nonprofit and uh, owners of Scott farm, which is a certified B Corp. So benefit corporation uh, focusing on people, planet profit. Um, uh, and um, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of an interesting relationship um, that, that we find, you know, is really well aligned with, with our, with our mission. And so right. our, many of our Vermont properties are kind of centered right here around, around Scott farm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was just going to yeah. say that. I think that's very interesting. And I do think that that small agriculture, the small scale agriculture was, it's really, we're losing it, but I think that that's, that's mm -hmm. what, you know, at least in mid in the, mid-Atlantic and New England that's what we've always had I mean in the Midwest the farms are much bigger but mm -hmm. but we've always had smaller smaller farms here yeah 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 and that space also you know allows us to do to do cool interesting things I mean another oh, yeah. piece, of, piece of our mission is um is promoting historic trade promoting preservation trades which I think yes. any of us looking in preservation would acknowledge as one of the one of the bigger challenges uh, facing facing the field at the moment is people to really do the hands-on preservation work uh, you know right. so we see it's part of our mission to help advance uh, the skills within the trades and so we have there's an organization um, um called the stone trust um that that uses some of our space at scott farm um, and their mission uh, is really uh, to uh, continue to advance the art and craft of uh, dry stone walling. Um, so this is something that folks have been to, especially upper New England, but I know there's examples throughout Pennsylvania, traditional uh, right. dry stone walls without without mortar. And so the uh, the, the Stone Trust has has um, little branches kind of throughout the country, but their main headquarters are kind of here uh, on at Scott Farm in a way for us to continue to advance those preservation trades. And they're putting together awesome um, programs, uh, you know, throughout throughout the year and kind of certification classes to keep this skill alive. And then the space, you know, also allows us to, to do interesting things. Like we can have weddings and events, you know, and, yes, yeah. and really engage with not just the wider community and folks who are, who are coming to visit, uh, you know, our properties who are coming from all over the world, you know, but people in, in the, the local community as yeah. well. Of course, we try to do it all at all. Of the properties. And then do you have like apple picking and, and apple cider and things like that in the fall? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this year has been has been tricky. Um, uh, the this year we, we there there was um, uh, a nasty freeze um, um, that, that got uh, that got a lot of northern New England, and so lost a good bit of the crop uh, this year. Um, but but plowing forward, uh, and still doing a lot of the the great things like we normally do. So we have a generally have a fruit CSA 
Now um, we have a little farm stand and a little cafe um, at, at the farm. And yeah, we're making um, uh, making hard uh, hard cider, uh, oh. wheat cider, and um, uh, and kind of a bubbly a bubbly cider uh, as well. So doing all kinds of fun fun things with apples, making our own products, and again featuring. Uh, you know, our products show up in jams that are made by local producers as well. Yeah. 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 That's, that, that's really fun. And I did not, I didn't, I didn't, I don't think I saw on the website, I might've missed it that you make hard cider, but hard cider is tasty. So that's another reason to come to Vermont. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, yes. Lots of good, lots of good cider and, and beers and, and things in that, uh, that non-alcoholic drinks, but uh, lots of good artisan drinks of all yeah. kinds. Yes, yes. So, um, what uh, what are the trends and challenges that you see in preservation? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's so much, and certainly this is something that that any of us in in the field, I think, could spend an hour just talking about, <laughs> about, yes. about these. But thinking, I mean, really, um, kind of distinctly about about kind of the type of work that we're doing at the Landmark Trust yes. um, USA. Now, I know, you know, one. Um, one thing for the, this model um, that, that we have again, that's really focused on on restoring um, buildings of historic significance that don't have um, other viable options, um, and kind of the model is really based on kind of whole house whole house rentals. Right. So as you know, there are questions um, uh, that, that, that are coming up, uh, discussions on, on zoning questions throughout throughout the country on 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 regulations around whole house rentals um, and, and these types of things. Um, I think for, you know, this, this model to, you know, to really be effective, I think, you know, one of the things that were, uh, you know, it's kind of on our minds is, is ways to navigate this and make sure that municipalities and others implementing kind of zoning regulations understand, you know, the, the value of this model is something separate from um, other uh, overnight house rental. Um, right. Yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, that's certainly something we're looking at our model mm-hmm. specifically. Um, um, uh, and then, as I mentioned earlier, I think finding skilled workers to do, to do this kind of work, the preservation and trades right. is certainly something. Um, and I really applaud the work that's been uh, kind of spearheaded out of, out of Maryland. Oh, and they're doing a great job. Yeah. Trades development um there is I, i'd love to see neon added to that list of historic trees <laughs> i think they should we should Don't start a petition <laughs> yeah, but all yeah of course we know that uh, a real shortage of oh yes uh, yeah. qualified to do to do this kind of work and, and and do it do it well um and then just thinking you know marketing i think and more broadly you know for us and for anyone and it's of course my wheelhouse is the communications specialist um but not just here, anywhere in preservation. I think we have marketing challenges. Uh, we need to make sure that the work that we're doing is relevant um, to, to the wider community. You know, we have a history in, in preservation, uh, I think, of appealing to a certain demographic uh, of person, um, class, color, <laughs> et cetera. Um, and, and I think we, we are doing good work and need to continue to do good work to make sure that that what we're doing uh, is appealing to um, people beyond that traditional demographic without leaving anyone. No, I, I, I agree. And I something that I've noticed doing the podcast over the past several years is the is the trend towards telling a more inclusive story because the stories have always been there. They're just they just mm-hmm. haven't been at the forefront. And it makes sense because, you know, the people who write the history books are the ones that get to, you know, dictate what what is being taught. Um, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Um, so I, I I definitely see that as a trend that is as um, has been for the past maybe three years has really been picking mm-hmm. up steam. And I think it's I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah. I, I, I do. I think that I think that people, if they see themselves in the history, will care about the history. Because if you don't see yourself, you you don't. There's no reason to care about it. Right. Exactly. And I think a piece of that is you know, recognizing the many ways that, that places can have historic significance. Um, right. And it's not again not just beautiful architecture um, or association with uh, someone who fought a war or was a leader, but the right you know, history of um, of kind of every you know quote unquote everyday people and places that may 
may not look um, like much, but have really important stories that are contained within them or places that haven't had the resources to keep their buildings, you know, at kind of top levels of integrity. Um, uh, and then, I mean, and the last thing that I want to, I want to make sure to mention, and I alluded to it earlier, yeah, is this idea of climate adaptation. I think it's, right. I mean, this is a, a major challenge right now, as I'm recording this, we are two days out from uh, an enormous um, uh, rain storm. I was going to ask if you were having flooding. I saw I saw there was flooding in Vermont this morning on the news. I was and I didn't ask you that. But I meant to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So luckily, our our properties uh, and office have come come through at this point unscathed. But many many places around Vermont, um, Massachusetts, New York, and other are uh, suffered incredible damage. And you know this this part of the, the country. Um, was hit very hard by Hurricane Irene in, in right. 2011. Uh, Montpelier, our state capital city here in Vermont, uh, is is under um, a number of uh, parts of the city are underwater. Um, so there's considerable damage, and, and this is you know certainly not unique to us. Um, this is happening, of right. course, on the coast. When I lived in Portland. You know, there we have the major the major challenge of, of unreinforced masonry. All of these beautiful buildings um, that. Uh, that may not do terribly well in the, an earthquake that is probably going to hit the West Coast at some point right. in the next 50 years. And so this question of kind of climate adaptation and resiliency, I think we, at this point, we need to really be thinking about how do we adapt to right. the, do and to, to, to slow uh, the, the, this climate change, um, but I would find out how we think through how we can adapt because our, our buildings are, are continuing and places are continuing to be affected and it's not getting better anytime anytime soon so continuing right. to do that work and furthering the narrative i think that in the way to one of the best ways to stop not stop it to, to slow to uh slow climate change or right. really we cannot be building new buildings at this point in our history um when we have existing buildings that can be adapted. And I can go on for on and on about the benefits of the local economy and the environment from over reuse. Of course, we, all, we know many of those, um, but I think we really have an environmental imperative in preservation to talk more about the environmental benefits of, uh, of, of, of reusing our existing buildings. Yes, yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, was there anything that, um, you wanted to share that maybe popped up in your, in your mind as we were going through this or um, that before we kind of do our wrap up questions. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I think um, I got nothing, nothing specifically new. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm excited to be able to share, you know, this, this model with more people, you know, as I working, I, I really valued the time that I spent um doing work in communities through national heritage areas and working with Milwaukee's the fabulous, fabulous city and doing, you know, primarily advocacy work there. Um, uh, and I think like this, if there's one thing to kind of, uh, that, that's kind of my passion with, with my current position here, it's really that this model um, is a really cool way, I think a sustainable way to kind of keep like, always looking for how do we, and using the sustainable in this industry, the financially, the financially sustainable. Right. And, you kind of it, it helps to have both um yeah especially especially if you're talking about preserving a building that nobody has wanted to preserve previously right yeah yeah exactly so i just again this this model i think is just something that is we think i think holds a lot of potential in the u.s again there's over 200 properties at the landmark trust uk and i think it's a great way uh, you know, historic house museums um, that may be struggling. It's another another tool in the toolkit in the U.S. that we haven't used um, as much as I think we we could in a solution yeah. for buildings uh, to kind of keep them up and uh, ways to do this kind of work. Um, you know, funding anyone who's worked at, as you know, working at a preservation nonprofit, where the money comes from uh, is right. a, something you spend a lot of time um thinking about and working on <laughs> yes yeah very very much so yeah the 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 private sector is um in that way a lot easier uh because the people have bought the house it's their property they love it but then to go in and try to save a building that's in danger of being demolished and you have to convince people who really aren't into it they don't want to spend any money <laughs> and you're trying to get you're trying to get them to come over to your side is a lot harder yeah yeah and then you know uh, 
more than that, sometimes people are, don't know that they have a historic property and show up between right. a, a design review board or a preservation commission and they're, and they're told, oh, you're going to have to replace all of that stuff and we don't have any money to help you. And uh, again, that's right. worst case scenario. Oftentimes there is money and resources and ideally. Yeah. Oh, no, I think you muted yourself. Oh, I don't know what happened. Let me see if I can... Um, I don't know what happened. You muted yourself for like 30 seconds. <laughs> oh, am I, am I back now? You're back. <laughs> I was okay. trying to figure out if I could unmute you, but I didn't, I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> I, um, yes. Anyway, speaking of, yes, the preservation, you know, if we can change the culture around the value of old right. buildings, um, yeah. the carrots, um, then that makes the, the sticks um, less necessary. <laughs> Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, it's it it is um, yeah, it is hard when people don't you know they don't value its importance, but they're it's being imposed. I mean that there's a definite tension there that that public um, uh, you know private private ownership you know of property mm -hmm. and what what how much restriction can you put on it? But I do think that those ordinance tools that 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 we have that we can that we can kind of enforce are you know one of the first steps that people can do to make sure that mm -hmm. their their community is preserved because that's really the only you know the only tool you have is 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 you know local local preservation ordinances at a you know very local level yeah absolutely yeah this this question that always surprises everyone not in front of the it's the local level you know your national register nomination or designation is not going to affect no. that building. You need, we saw this in Milwaukee. Milwaukee had a, a relatively strong historic preservation ordinance. Um, the majority of the suburbs surrounding it did not. And so when when somebody wants to buy the beautiful 1920s mansion uh, on the on Lake Michigan uh, in one of the suburbs, and they knock it down, and everyone's upset, there's there's not so much we can do. We can't go in and stop them. Yeah. Try to change public opinion, but we have no, there's no tools in that, in that to, to kind of rally around or cause uh, enforced delays. And so, yes, those ordinances are, are key um, to, to saving places at the local level. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's not surprising though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. in the preservation nonprofit world, I think. Yes, yes. So, um, how can someone support the work of Landmark Trust USA? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for asking. Yeah, the yeah we obviously. I mean, the two big ways are really come come and visit us if you need uh, as if you need an excuse for a Vermont vacation. Yeah, but now you have an extra an extra one. Uh, you know, just come and stay at our properties. I mean, the prices. Um, for for the properties are, are really quite reasonable. Um, you know, you're not paying any more, especially if you're filling the buildings. Um, oh, yeah, the, that's true. The property, you're not paying any more than you would at a Hampton Inn uh, and or a similar similar property, and getting a whole lot more um, value, uh, I think, than you would at any kind of a chain chain hotel or, or motel. Yeah. So please come and and visit us uh, in uh, in Southern Vermont, and we're just outside of. Brattleboro and, and Whitingham. Um, Brattleboro is a fantastic artsy um, uh, small community um, uh, about 14,000 or so here in in southern Vermont and a good good gateway to lots of places around us. So, so come come and visit us uh, and and uh, and then again we do we are a nonprofit. So as, as any as any nonprofit <laughs> uh, fundraiser says when they have an opportunity, please donate uh, to us and keep our you know help keep this mission. Um, going again, we 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 depend on donations um, to to fund uh, our, our capital projects and uh, and kind of our educational programs and plans to kind of bring this model to other places. So of course, all of that can be can be done online. Uh, and of course, you know, reach out to us uh, if there if there are questions that you have about about the model. Uh, again, we're we're we generally have to be we're a small organization. Um, now, uh, of only a handful of, of people, so so we're obviously quite selective about the types of properties that we're able to to bring on. But we'd like, love to be able to share with others about about this this model. Um, yeah, so encourage folks to come visit us, stay at the properties, um, uh, help us continue the work through 
donation and, and reach out. Okay, um, very good. And then how can our listeners get in touch with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for, for the organization, I'll say, and then, and then myself, the organization, we're at um, landmarktrustusa.org um, and also on, on the key social medias. So uh, so Facebook and and Instagram, we have an email list. Um, uh, for me personally, um, you can reach out um, at jebersole, J-E-B-E-R-S-O-L-E at landmarktrustusa.org or you can find me on um on my own uh, instagram uh, i'm at uh, jeremy the ebersole the t-h-e in the middle and i have lots of pictures of mostly neon signs and <laughs> roadside architecture and and, and such on there i uh, would love to talk with anyone about landmark trust or um, neon or any of these other topics <laughs> uh, linkedin uh, as well as a good place to okay. very good and i will um i will make sure that we have uh I'll make sure that when we when this gets posted on our website, so if somebody's listening, they didn't get a chance to write it down, they'll be able to go on and see all of the all of the resources that you provided, right. um, and then um, they can just click through or whatever they need to do to to get in touch with you or to visit the website. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you very much for for coming on today. I um, I uh, appreciate your time and I enjoyed learning um, learning about about your organization. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Practical Preservation Podcast. The resources discussed during this episode are on our website at practicalpreservationservices.com forward slash podcast. If you received value from this episode and know someone else that will get value from it as well, please share it with them. Join us next week for another episode of the Practical Preservation Podcast. For more information on restoring your historic home, visit practicalpreservationservices.com.